Hi, everyone, and welcome to SACSAS to Practice, a practitioner skill building process for the field from two folks who don't know it all, but have and will continue to think a lot about it. Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Ferret. I'm an associate vice president at James Madison University. And today I'm working from home as wearing a double hat as a uh, parent of a sick child. So if anybody uh, picks up any background noise or any foreground noise of a four-year-old, um, you know, she may just join the party today. We'll have to see. Listen, if I had the choice of who to do this podcast with, if I would probably pick her. So not that I don't love you and doing this podcast with you, but I am very open to the idea of a guest, anticipated or unanticipated. So, uh, and I'm Kate Radford. I serve as the Director for Leadership Education and Development in the Center for Student Leadership and Engagement. So um Excited to chat with you all today. Um, in case you haven't uh, caught our earlier episodes, um, just for a little context, we previously worked together, Miles and I, um, here at Clemson, and worked with an office that was about half graduate students. And through the years, we reflected a lot on the training that we provided to those graduate students. Um, we came to a fairly obvious realization that we were the host for their practical experience and bore a great deal of responsibility for helping to develop practical skills. So this podcast is really born of that realization. We've spent a lot of time thinking through what those practical skills are that we think are necessary to thrive in student affairs, how to teach them, hone them, all of that. Um, and this podcast is meant to share some of those reflections. Um, it's also a chance for us to continue to hone those skills ourselves and to sit down and stay in conversation with one another. We're doing that through a grouping of seasons, each based around a specific skill, and you're catching us here in our hiring season. But before we get to hiring, Kate, I think I've got a good one for you today in terms of some pop culture, true or false. Um, are you ready to learn about the, you ready to learn about the topic? Uh, yes, always. So this time, the question is, was this person romantically linked to John Mayer? True or false? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. I also have a really good story if one of them is true and you give me a person that I do know he was romantically linked to, but I'll hold that until that comes, if if it comes. And if not, I'll share that at the end. Okay, great. Okay, I'm ready. All right, you ready for the first one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, John Mayer was romantically linked to Jennifer Aniston. True or false? false. I don't really have a reason except that I just don't want them to be romantically linked because I really like Jennifer Aniston and I have very mixed feelings about John Mayer. Mm. Well, you're off to a rough start. You're not, <laughs> you're not flying like you were the last time. Dang it. Uh, John Mayer were... and Jennifer Aniston were linked. Yes. <sighs> Jennifer. All right. There not was a great a... start. There's that the role, the fairly explicit and controversial Rolling Stone interview that John Mayer gave where he talked about Jessica Simpson in some detail. Um, he also talked about Jennifer Aniston um, in that conversation. So, oh, man. Um, OK, so you do know who Jennifer Aniston is. Sorry, I should have <laughs> clarified. You do know who that person is? Sure do. Really love her. Okay, great. All right. I think you're going to be familiar with this person, um, but you may have not heard of her. So are you ready for the next one? <laughs> yeah. John Mayer was romantically linked to Taylor Swift. True or false? True. Listen, do you know our office? You know the people that I work with. We have an entire 
group chat called the CSLE Swifties, whole fan club in the office. It's constantly going with Taylor Swift drama and details and concert information and all of the things. And although I'm definitely not as big of a fan as they are, I know the basics and there are, there's like songs about them. Yes, totally. Yes, true. Yes, true. Okay, listen, I I just wanted to, I was just doing a little heat check there. You're just trying to help me out. Give me one. Give me a. No, I was trying to set you up for like a big fall on your face is what I was actually like. I was just hoping that you hadn't heard of that, which would have been, I think, very, very funny to most of the people who listen to this. But alas, you are, your head is not fully in the sand. Um, Yeah, see, I know some stuff. All right. Uh, so that's one of two. Are you ready for the next one? Mm-hmm. John Mayer was romantically linked to Jennifer Lopez. True or false? Mm. No, I'm saying false on that. I think, yeah, false. I just feel like she was... I don't know where she would have had time for John Mayer in a relationship in there because she was like married for a while and she had like some kids. She was, you know, with Ben Affleck, then not with Ben Affleck, you know, then A-Rod. See all these things I know about her. So you see this pop culture that's just like rolling off the tongue. Um, So I'm saying no, saying false on that. Yeah, I think we like have to like pose the idea that you're growing through this process. Like I, that was like a pretty impressive sequence. It was, you got it a little skewed. Ben was before <laughs> Mark Antony, and then obviously now after Mark Antony. But you're very right, right. close. Yeah, it's really good. A little muddled in my head, but yeah, I know it's some of the basics. Yeah, you had the A Rod thing. You're ready to go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's two or three. Are you ready for the last one? I'm ready. And you know who Jennifer Lopez is, just to clarify. Clearly, yeah. It sounds like, yeah. Okay. Uh, last one. John Mayer was romantically linked to Anadarmus. True or false? Oh, you're making a face. You don't know who that is. No, no idea. What was the name again? Anna de Armas. Anna de Armas. I'm going to say true only because I'm just guessing and I don't know who that person is. Okay, well, that was a bad guess. Um, <laughs> what I did here at the end was merge John Mayer and Ben Affleck's love life. So Ben Affleck uh, obviously is married to Jennifer Lopez, now Affleck. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did his relationship directly prior to that was with uh, Ana Darmas, who is uh, a budding movie star. I think primarily from a movie that I know I've told you to watch at least five times, Knives Out. Um, where she is the lead in that movie and is just as likable as not anybody ever in a movie. Like she's not quite at like Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman level of likability, but just like a step below that. Um, wow. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so two out of four this time around. Ana Armas is um, a Cuban actress who I think had a pretty robust um uh, career in like broader Latin American filmmaking and then really broke through in the U.S. with her performance in Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's 2019. I'm going to say Masterpiece. It was a great movie. Masterpiece. Yeah. Wow, that's a, strong language. Listen, there's a lot 
two knives out is all I'm saying. And, you know, we do a podcast about that specifically, but it's not really about higher ed. So yeah, two of four at this time. All right. Eight Radford. That's, you know, I started out so strong. Well, no, I didn't actually. I started not strong, but then really thought you were going to trick me and I came in strong. Okay. It wasn't strong. I was just trying to make it strong in some way in there, but two out of four, not great. Um, the person that I thought my story goes back to, I thought that maybe you would ask me about Jessica Simpson and I was going to know that one was true, that they were linked, um, one, cause the article you referenced, but two, um, my, I studied abroad in Australia. I think I've maybe said that before on the podcast, or if not, I studied abroad in Australia in college and my parents came to visit me and on their flight from LA to Sydney, where I then met them in Sydney to do some sightseeing. Um, they were on a flight with John Mayer and Jessica Simpson. They were on the flight in first class. So my parents were like, so ecstatic about that idea, which is just really funny to me. That was the first thing they hadn't seen me in like months. It was like the first thing they said when they got off the plane, not like good to see you. We've missed you. It was like Jessica Simpson and John Mayer were on a flight. It's like, cool. Did you talk to them? No, of course not. They had like security probably. And they were in first class, which is definitely not where my parents were sitting. So anyway, fun fact. That is, that is a fun fact. I think he might've been on tour or something. I can't really remember the the details of it, why he was, I mean, maybe they were just vacationing. Who knows? Australia is a lovely place. Um, Are you ready for your question from me? Never. Okay. Well, we're going to do it anyway. Mm. Um, So as a reminder to those listening, uh, each week I'm giving Miles a, a song title um, of what, could or could not be a early 2000s emo punk rock-esque song from my, what I would describe as glory days. Um, so the one I have for you this week is um, Stab My Tears. <sighs> Man, these songs. Uh, I mean, they are all just... Uh, so over the top and melodramatic and it's just it's just perfect for the era um you know i'm gonna say i'm gonna say that's that's a real song you know it should have been but it's not it is completely fabricated out of the minds of myself and my spouse who I had not shared that this is what we were doing on the podcast. I don't know that, you know, he's a regular listener of To Practice. He's he's heard a couple episodes, um, but he was really into the idea of this, um, that we were doing this because he also liked similar music and also I think likes an opportunity to be in a um, playful jesting, jesting, is that a word? To jest with Miles. So I think he liked the idea that I was going to give you this question. So he actually made that one up. So kudos to him for really, really understanding the assignment. And he was like, so just like a really sad pretend song. And I was like, I mean, yeah, what would you think would be early 2000s emo punk rock and stab my tears is what he came up with. And it, I was like, perfect. Yeah. Well done, Corey. Well done. So if you would like him to work on some lyrics to it, you just let me know. We can talk further about that. I mean, y'all did meet in a guitar class. So this feels like a, a natural 
natural next step. We did. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. Well, that was fun. Thanks. Um, I guess we should jump into some like real stuff here. So uh, we have previously uh, talked through sort of the the hiring process through, I guess, we got through on-campus interviews so far in our um, series here. And so today we're shifting gears a little bit and talking more about making a hiring decision. Um, so Miles, as I'm sort of thinking about this, I guess, like in chronological order here, after an on-campus interview, I think most typical timelines would move to some sort of reference process. And I know a lot of people who really believe that reference checks are just a huge waste of time. Um, I know you don't believe that. I know you value reference checks. So what are they missing? Why should we rethink our stance on reference checks? What works, what doesn't? Help us think about this differently. Okay, so this is um, settle in. I know that this profession is not the most like hashtag sports profession. Um, so everybody just like settle in and I'm going to uh, go with the sports thing that I is the way that I like to think about this. So um, in the in the National Football League, talking about American football here, um, there are. Uh, you know, I think folks are probably familiar whether you follow football or know the rules with the concept of a quarterback, which I think most people would tell you is the most singularly important position in sports. Um, basically, if you have a football team and you have a good quarterback, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to have a good team. If you do not have a good quarterback, you almost certainly are not going to have a good team. Um, it's almost that important. And so, as you might imagine, the NFL, which every franchise in the NFL is worth well over a billion dollars, it's one of like, you know, like probably one of the biggest industries in this country. Um, they have all of the possible resources in the world. And would you like to know that when they decide to go and select a quarterback, they only get it right half the time? The reason why I bring that up is because we in student affairs do not have all of the time and all of the resources and all of the information. Um, now, I don't know that our jobs are as complicated uh, or certainly not as high profile as being an NFL quarterback, but um, the point stands in that um, I I question our processes. I question the, the validity of them. Um, and I think that they're an artificial construct and I, everything that we've talked about, I think can help, um, hopefully make some sense of that process. Um, but I say all this because I think that there's a good chance that the best information that you're actually going to get in the whole process is through the reference check. And the reason why I think that is because, um, we are like, when we're going through a process, we are like totally projecting based on this construct that we've built, um, but a reference gives you an outlet for people who actually know the work of that candidate to share their experience working with them. I oftentimes tell folks that are thinking about going, that are like in job search processes or whatever the case may be, the biggest mistake you can make in the process is handing your agency to somebody else about as you're going through this process about whether you're good at this work or whether you should like it or whether you're worthy of a job. Because frankly, as hiring managers, we don't know whether you're good at the job. But oftentimes, the people who do know that are the people who actually know you and have worked with you. And so basically, what I think of references are is like a self-empowering. Like, I think references are about the most pro-candidate thing we can do. It's basically saying like, hey, 
you pick the people in your professional sphere that you think can tell the best story about you and you and your job. And what we're going to do is we're going to call them and talk to them and we're going to refer to them for their expertise and working with you. Um, and so I call references for all finalists for search processes. Um, and I think of it as part of the process and part of the information gathering experience and not an end cap. It's not like, oh, we're checking this box because it's required. It's like, no, we're talking to these people because frankly, they may be better and more authentic messengers for someone than they are for themselves in this process that we built that we can work to make as successful as possible, but we very well may not do that. And, you know, you factor in travel and nerves and a variety, you know, and then, you know, uh, a process that is just different than what the work is likely to look like. Um, and you may just not get that person. I mean, how many times we've we been like, you know, you've gone through a process and been like, yeah, they seemed really nervous. Mm -hmm. It's because they were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and people get nervous in their work, but like how often are people being evaluated in situations where they're nervous? Yep. You know, I hope that folks feel comfortable in their work on a regular basis. Um, and so long story short, that's why I think references are important. I think um, you've got to build them into the process because it it is, I think, probably the most pro-candidate thing that we can do. I don't pick anybody's references. I don't dictate who those references need to be. I would love it if it's a at least someone who is likely supervise you at some point. Mm -hmm. um, that would be great. Um but I'm not going to make a decision based on that. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing to do for candidates, but it's also great for uh, folks who are hiring. It's, it really is the best information you're going to get. Um, and some people say they're all good. And so it all sort of, you know, washes out, but I just, I don't, I've done a lot of references. I don't think that's true. Like I, I, you know, Call, call it my hubris, if you will, but I very sincerely believe I can tell the difference between a good reference and a great reference. Mm -hmm. And I think I can, and I, and I think I can notice a red flag. Um, and so anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your comment about, I think, you know, I asked you in the question or I noted in the question, that I think a lot of people think they're a waste of time. I think a lot of people, if they have the option are completely moving away from them or they're outsourcing them in a way that they don't, you know, they don't have to really engage. They're, they're using them as a checkbox, like you said. Um, and I think that you're exactly right, that people are doing that. They're moving away from them because they think of them as a requirement of the process versus an opportunity in the process. And I think um, the way you've described them Absolutely. It's a great opportunity for us to get the best information that we can. It is, it's going to fill in, I think, missing pieces of the puzzle. Um, it's going to help clarify things that maybe we have a feeling or a hunch on, you know, maybe we have a hunch that this person had was behaved in a certain way because of nerves. And if you can sort of, you sort of validate that with external information or triangulate some information, I think that it, they really, they really can be incredibly, incredibly helpful if we treat them as such as an opportunity. So thanks for helping us to think about it that way. Okay. Why do you find value in references? So I would agree with everything that you said. I think they're really important in our decision-making process. Um, but I would also add that I think, you know, maybe 
maybe more importantly, or maybe as importantly, um, that they also give you really valuable information for what's going to come next once you've hired someone. I think they're a great opportunity for getting information and figuring out, like sort of deciding how you're going to be able to support this person as a supervisor. Um, that's always something that I ask in a reference check is, you know, if if this person's to get the role, right? Like, how can I best support them? You know, that's it's an opportunity for you to get a head start on thinking about what's what does this person need? How can I start thinking about onboarding? How can I start thinking about, you know, the professional development they're going to need, the training that they're going to need? Um, and who better to give that than someone who's seen those things and maybe has already given some of that feedback about like, here's areas for growth for you and here's places um, where I think you could use professional development. How wonderful is it for someone to sort of pass the baton in that way to the next supervisor and to to give them that head start? I think that that's like a really wonderful opportunity. So um, that said, <laughs> I think in terms of like what works and what doesn't on reference checks, like I think you have to do them yourself um, and as the hiring manager, I should say. And I do think that that is um, something that a lot of people disagree with me on. Like, I think people feel like, okay, we'll, we'll give, you know, we'll, we'll hand out names and numbers and people from the screening committee can give different feedback or different, do different calls and give the feedback back to the committee or whatever. Um, or maybe you trust one or two people to do that. Um I've said this a million times in this season, but like it's time consuming. Yes. But I think it's worth it. I think you have to, you have to do those yourself for the very reasons that you described that you're not going to pick up on red flags or like notice the difference between good and great. Um, unless you've done them yourself, unless you're having those conversations. Um, I'll also tell you, and maybe I shouldn't disclose this, but like I feel differently when, when a hiring manager calls me for a reference and when someone like as a person giving a reference check, I feel like it just feels like a very different conversation when someone calls and says, Hey, I'm on the screening committee and I'm going to be taking some notes on what you say to report back. Like it, this, it just feels really different. It, it no longer feels like a conversation. It feels like sort of this, like almost, I mean, it does very much feel like a checkbox at that point. It's like, this person had to call me to get my notes on this. And I, I feel less invested in it. Um, and so I think do yourself the favor of doing those yourself and, and building sort of a relationship with the person over the phone. You know, I don't, I am not someone that recommends doing them via email. Like here, just reply to me with these questions. I think you give people, um, I think you're much more likely to miss some of those red flags or to confuse a great and good reference check when it's written. I think there's like an opportunity to sort of finesse language in a way um, that that makes it hard to distinguish some of that. And you don't get to ask sort of the like, you know, follow questions that you may want to, to ask in there. So um, do them yourself. I think keep them relatively brief. Again, if you're doing them yourself and you have a lot to do, if you're, if you're really calling on every single candidate, um, but also if you're going to keep them brief, be specific to the job that you're hiring for. I think don't just throw out the questions, right. Broadly of like, what's their greatest strength and their greatest weakness. Um, ask about, you know, this job is going to require X, Y, Z. How would you evaluate their ability to do those things? Right. Not just the general sort of broad questions, um, so yeah, I think that's, those are my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think you've got to go with, with, uh, I think you've got to go with form questions. I mean, I think everybody, you know, like everybody 
I, you know, some people like really don't like the sort of the like standard HR questions, but I find if you have used them for long enough, you can like, it's in some ways like asking the same questions and you hearing the same answer, hearing different answers to the same questions is actually helpful in the discernment process. Um, and it, obviously yeah. like it's more equitable. You can't shift between, you know, you can't shift between right. searches, but I think there's, there's some benefit to sticking with the same ones all the time. If you're doing references on a regular basis. Um and I agree generally with the with the do them yourself um, piece. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I, I think that I think that that um, I think that makes a lot of sense. So um, so Kate, next question. Um, so you're trying to make this decision. You have brought other stakeholders in. How do you get feedback from those folks? Who do you consult? Yeah. Yeah. What I think this goes back to our, like maybe what was it episode one or two where we talked about the structure of committees and stuff. I think a lot of that is dependent on that. It depends on the the committee role that you have set forth from the beginning. If you set forward that this is a selection committee, I think they play a different role than if they are a screening committee or an advisory committee or whatever you may have defined them as. Um, so I think knowing that, like meeting expectations there, um, also like sticking to your word, right? I think if you from the outset have said that we're going to make this process, make this decision as a team, which to be very frank, I wouldn't recommend. But if that's the what you've set forward, then I think you need to commit to that. Um, I also think it depends on some of the dynamics of your team or your department. You know, if you as if you're a very collaborative team that, you know, everyone was involved in every part of the interview process. I mean, who how you're consulting those people might look different than if your team is a little bit more siloed. And it's like, thank you. I appreciate your help on the interviews, but we're going to kind of go back into that silo to make a decision. Um, so I think knowing going into the process with all of that said, going in who you need feedback from and then make their process as streamlined as possible. So have a way to get their feedback immediately. Like, right. If they're a part of the interview process, having, you know, written, written, stuff in the the setting where they're interviewing a candidate, having them evaluate in that moment if their evaluation is something that you're going to consider. Um, you know, I, I do think that there are settings where like having a piece of paper and questions written out is inappropriate, right? Like I think in a one-on-one -on -one setting, it's a little awkward to be like, hey, I'm going to give you this rubric before you go in one-on-one -on -one with this candidate. Um, so maybe in those settings, it's like having a process for immediately after sending them a virtual or digital form for them to submit back to you or whatever it might be. Um, but I think have all that set up on the front end. Don't wait till you finished all your, your process and then start thinking about how am I going to collect feedback, collect feedback as part of your process. Um, I think the other thing that comes to mind for me is to really stay away from like a yes and no type feedback, right? Like, I don't think it's helpful for you to say, would you hire this person? Yes or no. Um, or like, should we hire this person? Yes or no. I think focus in on the strengths and weaknesses or strengths or areas of concern. Like, what is it, you know, then it's about collecting information, not about collecting individual judgments about candidates. Um, Cause the idea is that you want to give yourself the most information about whether you like, whether this person can be successful, right? Is to give you as much information as possible. And I think yes and no's doesn't really help you. It's it's like, a, okay, now I know where people stand, but it's not giving you any more information as the hiring manager to make a quality decision. Um, I think the other thing about the yes and no 
versus focusing on strengths is there's just some things you're not going to be able to share broadly. Um, and I think you need to prepare people for that. So I think there are times where, um, you know, if you do this yes and no process and you come to a conclusion of a consensus of yeses, and this is the person we want to offer to, and then that person isn't who starts the job in, you know, one to two months, there's going to be questions about that. And sometimes those questions are not things you can answer, right? So maybe you hit a wall, um, with like salary negotiation, maybe the person declined, you know, there's like a lot of things that could, could sort of happen between the offer and someone starting. Um, and my personal approach is I would rather get feedback from everyone, make sure that people feel heard. And again, maybe not everyone, the people that I know that I need that feedback from people I've decided going into the process that I want to consult on this and who have included, um, but I would not share who is receiving the offer um, until someone has accepted and, and they're starting um, because I just don't think that it's super helpful. And if they case they decline and you need to go to number two or number three, I don't ever want a candidate coming in with the rest of the team knowing like they were our backup. Does that make sense? You know, it's like, I don't want, I would rather it be a, this is who Kate decided to hire. And that's like all people, you know, need to know in that moment. I think you set up a weird dynamic otherwise. So um, and again, I think the the yes and no of that is is just so much less helpful than the give me the the feedback that you have about the candidates. Yeah, I uh, I I really like your point about getting feedback in the sort of shades of clarity. Without there's also the sort of like if you put the yes no thing on it, there also can be like, well, I didn't want that person. You know that sort of like uh, yep. that sort of that sort of thing that can happen. And so you just you want. Whoever is going to come to campus, you don't want your decision making process and your feedback process to end up making their job harder and make them less likely to be successful. Um, you know, the only other thought that I have about this is like in terms of who uh, who do you consult, like bring in your trusted folks and process it like and even if they don't have all the information, they weren't there for all of it. Um Sometimes, you know, the the people that know you well and sort of are willing to give you helpful feedback or not, they're there are people who like know how you talk about things and they know how you're, you know, thinking about things and processing them. And if you've got a really hard choice to make, um, which I think the hard choices in, end up tending to be like, there's two people that I really like, or do I stretch and bring this person in or do I fail it? I think that those tend to be the like where people really get stuck um, and bringing the people that you trust to, to process that. Um, cause ultimately you're going to be the one held accountable for it. And it just kind of depends on like how you ultimately like need to, to get that information. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Some of the like most clear decision-making processes that I feel like I've been a part of are when I've had an opportunity to, to get all that feedback that I talked about, but then to actually be able to process it with someone who didn't submit anything, didn't submit any feedback, didn't have like a, you know, dog in the fight for lack of better words. Um, but it, it gives me a chance without them trying to, you know, even unintentionally sort of share their perspective or share their, um, feedback on the candidate. I, I think I've been able to, and maybe that's some of them, some just external processing that, that I needed in that moment. But I do think having someone that you can trust to process with it is, is really good advice. And again, knowing that maybe going into the process, who's going to be that person for you and um, what information are they going to need to help you to what information do they need to help you process? 
So Miles, how, um, as we wrap up here, how else do you maintain the pro-Canada approach in your decision-making process? Um, what things maybe haven't we chatted about? We've been trying to thread this pro-candidate approach sort of throughout this, this whole season as we think about this phase of a hiring process, a decision-making process. Um, how do we, how do we maintain that? Well, I mean, I think when you call to make the offer, I think that there's, I think that you want to provide information in a way that does not seem like you're putting pressure on that person. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's helpful. And I think that people like skip over this step sometimes of like, can you provide some feedback that led you to that decision? You don't have to get specific. You definitely don't need to be talking about other people. I'm talking about an appropriate terms here that can be general, but also helpful. Um, tell that person understand like, hey, you've got a mandate coming to campus or, you know, here's here's what I'm thinking about. And here's why I think this is going to work um, for us. Ultimately, you know, at this point, we're, you know, we're shifting the ball to your court and, and you've got to do what's best for you and your you and your people. Um but I, you know, I think that that can be part of it. I think, um, how do you carry the the pro candidate process that you've led the whole time through the offer? So, um, our former colleague Agassi Rodriguez, back when um, he used to host the first five years, uh, when we were we did a job search arc over there from a candidate perspective, and he referenced when when um, when I hired him at Clemson that it really meant a lot to him. He had asked me questions in the process about what it was like to be, uh, to have a couple of like specific identities that, that Agassi holds. Um, and in going through, uh, what it was like to have those identities at Clemson. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't share those specific identities that you're asking me about, but let me gather information about what community would look like here at Clemson. And then I followed back up on that during the offer process and said, Hey, here are a couple of, um, you know, here are a couple of resources they're here. Well, he, you know, he expressed in that episode and expressed afterwards too, that that meant a lot to him, that it showed that he, you know, that there was a level of care and attention um, that was, that was being paid in that process. And they felt like he was really being heard. Um, so, you know, if there, if you know, there's outstanding concerns, again, it's not pressure. It's literally just like, Hey, I did a little bit more research. I just wanted to follow up on this and just make sure that, that um, you've got, you know, you've got the right answer. Thing, I mean, I think it's all part of an arc of a relationship, right? Um, and this is just like a thing that you're doing as a part of that process that shows that you care about someone, whether they decide to accept the job or not. Um, and then I think in terms of that pro-candidate experience, you know, uh, if they do accept, then roll out the welcome wagon, whatever that looks like. For me, I'm going to send you a note, um, you know, uh, in some places at JMU, we tend to send welcome packages. So, you know, here's some, you know, here's some some JMU gear, um, for you to, for you to get started, um, you know, and have other people welcome them too. Um, uh, when I started at Clemson, it was really nice. It was like the standard practice there to send a message out that somebody had accepted and to send their, their communication info. And that's not like a revolutionary practice, but I remember, you know, getting emails from a couple of folks and being like, Oh, this is really nice. Um, it's nice to feel, you know, like folks are excited about, um, about me coming there. Um, 
And then the other thing that I would say in terms of that pro canine experience is like, how can you actually help people with the transition? I mean, we talked about stuff that you can offer in terms of like actual resources. Um, but, you know, can you go see an apartment for somebody? Can you, um, you know, can you help navigate, you know, like potential places to live? Are there, um, you know, are there resources for like matching people with roommates? Are there, um, you know, what, what resources can you, you know, bring to bear, but how can you just be helpful to somebody if they're transitioning to a new place? Um, you know, uh, what does the office look like? Are there, is there like a specific office setup that you can help sort of honor as you're going through that? All of that is, is saying like, Hey, you have, you know, you're a human being and different people value and different things and find meaning in different things. So like, how can I, you know, how can I meet that for you? And me starting here, I wanted like a, not necessarily a formal standing desk, but like a standing desk attachment. And that's something that I mentioned going into it. And when I got here, you know, I had a standing desk that was set up and ready to go. And it was, it was great. So if you're not making an offer and maybe this is me being naive and like being like stretching a, a concept to a breaking point, but let's say that that's not per se a rejection because it's, it's not, you're calling to let somebody know that you've gone in a different direction. Is there a possibility in doing that, that you can create a, that like a relationship can form from that? Um, is there a way in which you can, you know, like, can you offer time for feedback as you go through that? Um, can you, you definitely can thank that person for their time. Um, and, you know, if it, you know, if it feels appropriate, um, share that you would love to stay in contact and for them to consider other opportunities. Now, again, I think that they're, they could have not wanted the job either. You know, like, let's not assume that we're like breaking anybody's heart here or um, any of that. Like, I, I, I just don't know. Um, again, I'm not going to operate under the assumption that I'm the one holding the power in this situation. This is a two-way street. You know, you're making an offer. You're not like forcibly hiring someone here. Um, this is a, this is a mutual and a reciprocal process. And so, you know, like it could be like, a, they could be like, yeah, I really enjoyed getting to meet you, but I definitely don't want that job. <laughs> like I interviewed for a job one time where I thought the people were lovely, but I definitely was not going to take the job. Now, mind you, I didn't get the offer anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's like, how do you, how do you situate yourself, particularly in that call is like, Hey, I'm just communicating this information. Um, but like, how can we maintain or, you know, how is there a world in which we can maintain a relationship? Oftentimes not like that doesn't, it doesn't stick that way, but there, ha there are folks that I've stayed in communication with and, um, and, you know, there could be, you know, there could potentially be, be something else that would come up, you know, at, at a different point. So, yeah, I really like the way that you said that about, um, sort of not making any assumptions. I, I do think that we, we do make an assumption that any person we're calling and not giving them a job that we we're going to break their heart and that we've like, you're, you're right. There's a very clear power dynamic set up there that we've talked about. We can't, can't completely avoid, but um, if we have done some of, you know, the things we've talked about on this season, we've hopefully set that up as more relational and there's an ability to, to have more of a two, two-sided conversation there. I will be honest, I am blown away by the number of colleagues I know that do not call someone when they do not receive the job. And I, um, if, if there's one thing I could advocate for on this episode, it is that it is that you, I think we 
um, we owe people the call <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, sometimes it's uncomfortable. They're not my favorite calls, you know? Um, but I think if you can approach them from a, thank you. We we appreciation, gratitude for their time, gratitude for their participation in the process, affirmation of, you know, who they are and what they bring. And, um, and exactly as you described, maybe they're, maybe they have no interest, um, in the role, but I think we offer them, we, we owe them the, the conversation and, and some feedback, um, for the time that they've invested, um, and for probably, you know, vulnerability that they have shared at some point during the process with us as well. Um, I have had a couple of those calls where I've called folks to say, Hey, you aren't who we identified as our candidate for this, this opportunity. And I've had a multitude of really wonderful things come from that both. And I don't think it's like too Pollyanna of you miles to, to think like that you could have an extended relationship. Cause I've seen that happen. I've seen people to say like, I really enjoyed the process. I liked learning from your team and things you're doing. I'd love to like follow back up and, and learn more about this thing. Like, so maybe it's more of a professional, like I want to know more about this program that I would have worked with had I come to your campus. And I'd like to do something similar at my own, it's my current institution, right? Like maybe there's an opportunity for that. Maybe there's an opportunity for some sort of, um, you know, just relationship mentor relationship, possibly depending on how that sort of plays out. Um, maybe there's an opportunity for future job opportunities down the road. Um, I have also had those conversations where candidates have blatantly been like, yeah, it was clearly not a, the right fit. Right. And that's like such a nice conversation to have of like, yes, we didn't feel like the fit was right for you in this particular role. Um, and to be able to, to know that, you know, I think that's one of the best things that could happen is to, to feel like that was, we, we ran a process that did what it was supposed to do and that we both sort of had that, like we, we both explored this opportunity, like you explored our campus as in this role, we explored you as a candidate and we found that it like, wasn't going to work. And, um, I think if you can both come to that conclusion, it's pretty incredible. It doesn't happen often, but, um, you're never going to find those things out. You're never going to have the chance for the future relationship. If you send an email and say you didn't get the job or even worse, just completely ghost people, which I, I, again, I'm shocked happens, but have heard happens pretty regularly in our field. And I think it's really disappointing. Um, so hope that you will, if you're, uh, if you're offering jobs out there, please call the candidates, all of them that you, um, interviewed to let them know that whether they did or did not get the role. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, I think doing this relatively quickly is part of what is the the pro candidate experience, right? Doing like not letting things linger for months and months of like, I mean, not months and months, that's an exaggeration, but even weeks, like you should be pretty quickly able to have these conversations with all of your candidates. I know there's like red tape sometimes of background checks and stuff like that. Some of that thing, some of those things take a long time. Sometimes scheduling those reference checks take a while, um, but set aside the time and get that process rolling so that you can make offers quickly. One, it's going to help you because you're going to be more likely to get the candidate that you have identified that they are in other processes. You certainly can lose it too. I think just like giving people that closure pretty immediately. And I think it's the worst feeling in the world to kind of sit in, in limbo on that. So yeah, well, as we wrap up, Miles, do you have a resource that you would like to share? Um, Kate, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Um, what I would like to share is uh, a book series called Harry Potter. I don't know if you've heard of it. 
Um, oh my gosh, yeah. I knew you were going to do this to me. It's really, it's really good. Um, I, I am I would, familiar. I have I heard would, of it. I would really recommend it. Um, I, I think it is at this point as a actual work of literature, somehow I think it's underrated. So happy to have a sidebar conversation with anybody about that. But yeah, that's the resource that I would share. If you haven't read Harry Potter, there's a lot of joy waiting out there for you. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. yeah. Would would recommend Harry Would Potter. recommend on that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um sticking with you know the trend here from last week. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a resource. Um mine is um an article called Introverts Pose a Problem for Hirers. It's written by Hazel Davis and it's in the Financial Times. Uh, you can find them on their website. Um, and I really enjoyed the read. It's it's really about um, thinking about like sort of why why it's sometimes challenging. And as an introvert, why I think it is sometimes challenging to interview and to be interviewed as an introvert and sort of the um, the things that may be perceived um, differently as coming from an introvert or sort of the way that we portray ourselves in an interview process. And I think what I really liked about it is it notes the idea of how can reference checks really help to equalize maybe some disadvantage that introverts face in the process. So if you're not going to tell the story right for yourself or not going to elaborate or um, maybe be quite as extroverted in the telling of your story, and that might be what is enjoyed or perceived as more positive by hiring managers, how can the reference checks help you to do that? So I think a, a good note for anyone really, but um, if you are an introvert out there, I think it, it has some interesting information and in thoughts to think about. So that's what I got. You know, who doesn't have to perform and engage with other people during a reference check? An introvert. Um, also, I object to the idea that you said an actual resource. All that this says is a resource to share. You said we promise to share a resource. You're I right. I'm sorry. Excellent resources. You is have. All I'm saying. You're right. Harry Potter is an excellent resource. I take it back. Thank you. Just got to really hone in on what we're talking about here, Kate. Um, all right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for To Practice presented by SACSA. You can get more information about SACSA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs on our various social media outlets, including uh, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash SACSA fan page on Twitter at SACSA tweets and on Instagram at SACSA grams. Don't forget to sign up for the SACSA alert, which is great information on the work of SACSA and its members. Kate, anything to add? I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for listening.